I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer, and I'm fresh back from our biggest challenge yet. We took on a challenge called the Arctic Circle Race. It's the world's toughest ski race. About 200, between 150 and 200 people do this thing a year. And it's been going for about 20 years. So by my calculations, probably around 3,000 people have done this in the world ever. And having done it, I can see why it's not everyone's cup of tea. It has been the most extraordinary experience and we actually only got back yesterday afternoon. I'm recording this less than 24 hours later, but I knew I had to get this down as early as possible in the experience because already it's all starting to fade. And and I really want to bring this to you because I think a lot of people wonder how you can do an event like this and why you would do an event like this. There are a couple of really good reasons why we've undertaken this. I mean, the first is the the sort of altruistic or charitable element of it. And and that is that my father-in-law, Antonio's father, has Alzheimer's. And he's had this for many years now. I've never actually met him when he was, if you like, compus mentis. And he's been in a home for the last six or seven years. And he's now in a pretty bad way. And so it's obviously Alzheimer's is a, a cause that's very near and dear to our hearts. And we wanted to raise money specifically to help a charity called Alzheimer's Research. And the brilliant group of people, Kelly and, and her team, who lead up that charity here in the UK or the sports division of that charity. Now we've done some work with them in the past. We've run marathons. I've done four marathons. Antonio's done two. And two of those have been for Alzheimer's research. But we found that asking people to help us raise money last year in particular was a really tough year. You know, last year we raised about two and a half grand year before that, we raised four and a half. And this is just running a marathon, you know, keeping in mind that um, we're fit people and health, fitness and well-being is very much our shtick. So it really made me think that, firstly, you know, people are not so impressed with the endeavor, and I completely get that. And they're not digging as deep for it, completely get that as well. So we wanted to do something really big that would capture people's attention and get people ultimately wanting to to sponsor us and and really dig deep for it. So the Arctic Circle Race is what we came up with. Antonia's idea, and I'm proud to say not once during the experience did I throw that back at her, tempting as, as it was. Um, that's what we chose to do. And the other reason is that we absolutely believe that it's important to do something much, much bigger than you. Or put another way, to get into your discomfort zone. 
as a way of building resilience, of getting comfortable being uncomfortable and a way of getting comfortable with unpredictability. You know, when we talked very recently with Spencer Locker of SAS Who's Dares Wins in a previous podcast episode that we'll link to in the show notes. And I asked him, you know, why is it that fewer people are applying to do marathons now and more and more people are doing things like Tough Mudder and Spartan races? And he said exactly that. It's because people find their lives, whilst they might be stressful because of saying yes to things and overscheduling and the pressures of work and hyper-connectivity and technology, whilst life is still is stressful now, it's not stressful in the same way. You know, our, our true resilience isn't being tested. And life is very predictable, even if it's just predictably stressful. And getting out of that and doing something that, that's almost sort of primitive, that really tests your mettle in a different way, to the everyday rigors of life and business life. I think it's something that people are yearning for. I definitely was. I've actually signed up to do a five-day Bear Grylls Survival Academy, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm doing it with my oldest friend. And I think it'd be really interesting to see how I would respond to that. And, and it was interesting as well to me to see how I would cope with something like the Arctic Circle Race. So more about the event itself. It's a three-day event. It takes place in Greenland. And the nature of the event is that you camp in between. So essentially you go, you ski for a day, that's day one. You camp overnight and there's lots of sort of very heavy duty two-man tents that they pitch up in a relatively sheltered area. It's actually a frozen lake half, halfway up the mountain. And you have to go into the, the drying tent to dry off your kit. There's another tent that's heated where you can go and cook food and prepare food and get hot water and so on. And then some portaloos, less said of those, the better. And then your tent. And that's it. That's the camp. So day two, you go off and ski, you come back to camp. Day three, you go off and ski, you come back to the village again of Sissimut in Greenland, which is where we were based. So for us, it, it had lots and lots of firsts in this this challenge. You know, we've never cross-country skied before. So we actually learned in Austria in January. Shout out to Posey Musgrave and Alan Eason, who helped us on roller skis and on the snow itself. We'd never done that before. So we learned for five, six days in January. And then we went out and did a long weekend in Austria in March, two weeks before the event, just to get a bit more snow time. And I'm really glad we did that. The distance, neither of us have ever done a, a race of that sort of distance. There are two distances, more on that later. One is 160 kilometers and the other is 100 kilometers. We'd entered the 160 kilometer race. So that's distance we'd never done before. We'd done close to it with the Scotland Coast to Coast event in September, but never that far terrain this is something that we massively underappreciated just what that terrain was going to look like as we flew into Sissimut uh, more on all of this in a second um, when I play some of the recordings but as we flew in I looked down at the terrain and I thought this can't be right this is just pure mountainous terrain I mean this, this is I don't see a lot of flats I don't see much you know normally in a ski resort particularly cross-country you'll see some varying terrain but there wasn't a lot of variation in terrain climate it can get up to minus 30 this time of year in the Arctic. But it can also be, and I think it was something like zero or even four degrees when we left a few days ago. So it can be massively variable and those variations can happen in just a matter of, of minutes. So we needed to be prepared for all sorts of different climates as well. Very cold, very hot, sunny, shady, icy, and so on. So that was going to be a big first for us. Waxing skis, we'd never done that before. Now, as it turns out, we didn't have to do that. We actually hired someone who, who came up and waxed the skis after days skiing. And I would like to be able to wax my own skis. But I tell you what, when you get back in from particularly the first day, it's not one you, it's the last thing you want to do is wax these things that you're desperate to get off your feet. I'd never, neither of us had ever eaten freeze dried food before. 
So that was a, another first that we're going to have to get used to. The camping, I've done a couple of nights in a tent maybe, but never three days or two nights in a tent and never in that sort of cold climate either. As it goes, it wasn't too bad because you can have a very sort of very good sleeping bags insulated you to about minus 30. So once you got in it, it's quite difficult to get out, but you didn't want to either. So so the camping was a big first for us though. And the m- nature of a multi-day event, we've ever, ever done two-day events maximum, normally only one-day events. Completely different thing, getting your head around doing a two-day event and even bigger, getting your head around a three-day event because it's just, it's a lot of time. It's a huge expanse of effort that looms ahead of you that, that, you know, you don't just think I've got to get through today and then I can go home. You've got to really get yourself ready for three days of what I call a suffer fest. Other firsts, we've never raised 10,000 pounds before. We've always gunned for sort of the lower end of two, 3,000. And we never left that dog either, our rescue dog that we adopted almost a year to the day. We'd never left her before as well for, for 10 days, which is how long we were away for. So, Lots of firsts that made this, you know, absolutely the biggest event that we'd ever taken part in and the world's toughest ski race. So that's why we were doing it. My thoughts on the the journey, really. I'm, I'm going to play you some recordings now of, of our journey. So we flew from London to Copenhagen. We had to st- spend the night in Copenhagen. Then we flew to Kangalasoak, which is in Greenland. And then we flew on a very small plane across to Sissimut. Here are some of my thoughts on the journey. So here we are in Copenhagen Airport. We got here yesterday. We had a patchy night's sleep in a budget hotel, but we dare not complain given what's coming up. So in Copenhagen, we set off for Greenland in about an hour and a half. And from there, we get a very tiny de Havilland plane to, um, well, ultimately to Sissimut, which is a village population 5,000 and there it kind of it gets real really we'll see a little bit of the terrain we're going to be skiing in we've already met one of our competitors or race buddies John we had dinner with him last night lovely fella and we saw a few other people in the queue everyone looks sort of a bit older a bit gnarly you know probably quite used to doing these extreme adventures so right now we're feeling pretty calm pretty relaxed excited but as it gets closer and I think as we actually get out into Sissimut, I don't think that's how it's pronounced but bear with, it'll all feel more real and some of the nerves will definitely kick in so uh, that's where we're at for now, right now full of excitement, we'll come back to you a bit later on and let you know how we feel when we get to Sissimut. So we've arrived in Sissimut via a really small little plane, uh, one of these propeller planes. The airport is absolutely tiny and a bus took us to our hotel room while I'm standing here looking out the window, looking above the sky, sort of greyish, the sun's trying to peek out. Um, it feels like the end of the day, but it isn't actually. It's about 3.30 in the afternoon here, so there's a good few hours of sunlight left. And initial impressions are, one, feeling very daunted, this incredibly mountainous terrain around us, incredibly so. It's hard to see where there's going to be any sort of reasonably gentle skiing but I guess this is the world's toughest ski race maybe there won't be and the so the, the white the whiteness of it all very hilly this little village and peppered in amongst all the whiteness are little houses cute little houses often they've got little boats in front of them as well because this is a seaside town effectively and all the houses are painted really bright vibrant colors just to bring some color I suppose and some character to the town so there's a yellow house blue green browns, uh, dark blues, light greens. It looks like quite a cute village, but everything looks very quiet. There's a couple of people walking down a a snowy road. 
And that's it. So um, we're really going to spend the afternoon just getting acclimated. It's all starting to feel very real now. Quite keen just to have a good night's sleep, settle down and, and get the lay of the land tomorrow. So that's as far as we've got for now. We'll, we'll record again tomorrow once we've had a look at the village and, um, and let you know what that's like. So it's day two. We've had a really good day, actually. We've got everything sorted. So we went down, got our skis waxed. The waxing is really interesting, actually, because there's a very specific type of wax for a very specific type of snow. And there's many, many permutations and types of snow. So we think the weather's so changeable out here that the guy who did the waxing thinks he's got the wax right for us over the next 24, 48 hours. So we'll see. We've also picked up our sleeping bag, which is good up to about minus 30 this sort of fleecy liner, which I'm not sure if it goes in the sleeping bag or out of the sleeping bag, but anyway, we'll figure that out. And a, a very thin mattress. Well, it's, it's like a sleeping bag liner. It's just something you put down on the ground. So we picked all that up. We've got the skis wax. We've had a really uh, a good walk around Sissimo, haven't we? We've seen some huskies. Was that your highlight? Well, the huskies, yes, but also just the food actually is a highlight for me. It's, well, the it's, food's great. Yeah, the food is great and there's plenty of it. Um, and the whole area is is a highlight in a way because it's so so different from anything I have ever experienced. And, you know, just, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is just very, very, very different from anything I've ever experienced. And I just find all of that is the highlight. I mean, it's just every single thing is different. You know, you look out of the window, there's snow. You look out of the window, you've got ice yeah. on the sea. Yeah. It is extraordinary. I'm going to take you just going to take the phone out the window and see if you can hear these huskies howling. Have a listen. I don't know if you can pick that up or not, but there's huskies how in the background and it's a noise we've heard quite a lot today and you hear it a bit at night they as well. Where's so, my alarm clock? Yeah. How are you feeling about the race? Part of me is excited. Part of me is dreading it, uh, and there's just I I have no idea how I'm gonna do because I just don't know. Yeah, it's so d- hard d- to benchmark. It's so it? hard to benchmark because it's just something that we've never ever yeah done before. But the other highlight actually, since it's always missing in the other contenders, actually I think those yep. they're really nice, and some of them are quite an interesting combination or bunch of people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, some really nice folk here. Uh, quite an yeah. interesting, you know, certain type of character to do yeah. this sort of thing. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm feeling pretty. I mean, it's so hard to know how we're going to perform out there. Well, we just we just have to go out there and try. I'm mean, I'm feeling quite relaxed at the moment. We do have the race briefing tonight, so I think that might and tomorrow, and tomorrow that might shit us up a bit. Tonight, I think, is more about safety and the area itself. Tomorrow is more about the race. So yeah, we'll jump back on again after we've had the briefing, maybe. Otherwise, we'll give you a little update on what goes on tomorrow, day three. But for now, day two, over and out. So we've just had the informal briefing where we were shown a presentation of someone who previously trained for the ACR. Uh, We were given information about the volunteers, the various locations of the camps over the last 20-odd years that this race has been going on. We were shown some of the routes, which don't mean very much at the moment. They're just red lines on a contoured map. So all will be revealed, I think, in tomorrow's technical briefing. But main things I'm concerned about, lying here in bed at half past nine on Wednesday night, race starts Friday morning, are really around the downhills. You know, are they going to be fast? Will I be able to stay in the tracks? Are they going to be so fast I might want to take my skis off, which a few people have 
I've said it does get that sort of steep. That's probably my main concern, but it still feels like it's a little bit too far away to get too worried about. I'm going to enjoy tomorrow. Stay relaxed. We have a technical briefing tomorrow night, so I'll know a lot more about the routes and the course and just how demanding it might be. I'm also going to go out for a ski tomorrow morning as well, just do a 10k loop locally, which will take in the beginning of the race. So we'll know a bit more tomorrow. So day three comes along and uh, no more faffing about. We've got to get out there and, and do the practice, actually get on the snow. I think in the back of my mind, I was kind of putting off getting the skis on just because it all feels a bit realer once I do that. And maybe I'm a bit nervous about going out and then just skiing the terrain in case it really is ferocious. Maybe I don't want to find out secretly until it's too late and I'm actually on the race course. But anyway, day three, we picked up our skis where they'd been waxed and uh, we got out on the snow and here is our experience. It's the morning of day three and in 24 hours time, we'll be setting off. And we've had a funny night's sleep, haven't we? Mm-hmm. How was yours? I slept all right, but I'm, I'm feeling quite nervous right now. I've got sweaty hands and sweaty feet, and I feel quite, yeah, very nervous. I want to get out onto the ski just to settle my nerves a bit. Yeah, to help me get a feel for, for the snow and stuff. But yeah, I feel very nervous actually right now. Very nervous. Yeah, I, I do want to get out on the snow. We haven't done that since we arrived. Our skis were waxed yesterday. Um, and just do an hour, just go through the, get some rhythm, get on the snow. Mm-hmm see if we're warm enough in what we're choosing to wear today but i must admit i've i've thought about it all night slept well but thought about it all night and it's certainly feeling very very real now yeah let's get up let's get out there and do a practice ski yeah and we'll jump back on here later Ta-da! ACR day three and we finally got out on skis didn't yes, we? Yes we did indeed. We were starting to feel quite nervous really starting to feel we needed to put skis on and actually get out there and, and feel what it was like and yeah I think I was putting it off in my head I don't know why really because obviously we've got a very big ski ahead of us but anyway we had an amazing time conditions absolutely beautiful beautiful yeah it was the best ski ever fastest ski ever since we've been on on snow well we learned in january on artificial snow and then two months ago we had a mixture of ice and slush ice and slush and yeah so today was actually the first time on proper snow which made such a difference and um we were actually, I think we were the fastest we've ever been. Yeah, I think we probably so, were. We were actually gliding. Good, and good waxing. Well, we absolutely loved it because not only were the conditions great, but you can see how stunningly beautiful, beautiful it is. It's, it is and it's going to be out there. Mm. And I just think it was a massive boost to our confidence. Yeah. There were a couple of you know, steeper, steepish hills, but the but snow was so good. Yeah, the snows are so good that doesn't really matter. I mean... <laughs> Well, it's we also the beginning. Strong I mean, you snow know, plow. And, yeah, and we, but we felt in control. I think yes, that's the key thing. That's the key, it? yeah. Don't know how I feel after 50k, but yeah. The, before, it Positivity, was good. remember. <laughs> it was right. good. That's it. Over and out. The day before the race, something incredibly beautiful um, was done for us. So the village, by the way, has got about 5,000 inhabitants. It's absolutely tiny. And the ACR is a really big event for them. It's it's entirely staffed by volunteers, which are all people from the village. And they are incredible. They're absolutely extraordinary. You know, they really get your spirits up. And one of the things they do the day before the race, because they're quite it's quite a religious town, 
is they lead you by procession to a church and they conduct a church ceremony for you. Now, I'm not remotely religious, I'm an atheist, but you can't help be touched by this. And the um, the sanctity of it, I suppose, of, of conducting it in a church, it reminds you that this is a big event, you're out in very hostile terrain, and they want um, God to watch over us. And I think that's very touching, whether you believe in God or not. The, uh, the ceremony is conducted in Greenlandic, so we can't understand anything. But it's just a really beautiful moment. So these are our thoughts on that. So we've just had a procession leading from the cultural centre, which is basically the race office, to a church, which is right on the harbour in Sisimut. Absolutely beautiful. We were led there by a chap holding the Greenlandic flag. And I'm looking out now, I can see the mountains, I can see the bay, the water is incredibly still. And all these colourful houses, you know, reds, yellows, blues, oranges, into the church that we've just been led into, which is this huge wooden, red wooden building where the, um, I don't know if he's a vicar or what we would call him, but he stood at the door welcoming us in and they've just conducted a ceremony with the local people just for us basically there's a prayer to wish us on our way wish us luck for the next three days and also to give thanks to the volunteers they sang hymns it was all in in greenlandic but incredibly beautiful and touching moment so yeah it's been an extraordinary day actually we've had the ski the procession now we've had the church service and we're walking back now to the cultural center where we'll get our briefing technical briefing on the next three days so it's really starting to get real keen to hear the briefing and we go back to our room we have a meal we're probably going to watch a movie chill out ready for the off and we had the technical briefing that evening and they basically showed us the routes but again it's quite hard to bring it to life because they're red lines on the contours of maps and you couldn't really see the contours and the lines and maybe that was just as well we were told who to look out for you know if someone's wearing orange they're rescue if they're wearing a different color they're a medic or something and they talked a little bit about what to expect in terms of the start and everything else but mainly information that we'd already had so Really, it was just down to us to to get our head together and get ourselves ready for the following morning. So but race day morning, so this is Friday morning, we wake up feeling quite nervous. I'd watched a couple of YouTube videos of the race the night before because I felt like I was a bit too relaxed. But it's very hard to get ready for an event of this magnitude because you don't know what to expect. We had a decent breakfast. We got dressed up in our gear and handed our luggage in, our camping stuff, and went down to the start line. Had some photos taken with, with some of the other competitors that we were, I say competitors, you know, people who were racing, we weren't, we weren't competing in that sense. Got down to the start and it kicks off. You, know, the, you, you ski underneath a whole, a, a big line of flags. There's a flag for the nation of every single competitor, which is lovely. It's a bit of a bum fight at the start, but very quickly, the leaders have pulled off way in front of you and, and we're towards the back of the pack, which was fine. There was a headwind of about 15 to 20 miles an hour. So that wasn't great, but we didn't really think of the significance of that at that point. And the weather was pretty good. I think it was about minus 11, something like that, which really isn't bad out there, especially when you're moving. Not a bright day, but it wasn't snowing. Could have been worse. I'd been getting ready for really cold temperatures and, and it wasn't too bad. We got about an hour in and it really started to dawn on me just what the hell we'd signed up for. It was incredibly difficult. It was all up, even in that first hour, it was just non-stop climbing. 
Uh, and on cross-country skis, you've got two options. You can herringbone, which is basically to make your skis into a big V-shape and walk up that way, or you can take them off. Now, at this point, we kept our skis on. So we were herringboning up these hills into a headwind of 15 to 20 miles an hour. Weather's not fantastic. And quite quickly, I started to realize what we'd taken on. Some of the things that I thought I would really look forward to, like the solitude and being in the mountains, and I absolutely didn't. I found them to be quite threatening and menacing, and that started to get to me. And for the first time, really, in any event, certainly, you know, I started to feel quite anxious, and it was a low-level anxiety that stayed with me the whole day. I felt like I was in the wrong place. I shouldn't be here. I'm not technically able, or you know, don't have the ability to get through this type of terrain. About two and a half hours in, and we're herringboning, surprise, surprise, up a hill, a snowmobile pulls up alongside us with a, a the word jury written on the back. Basically, they mean judges. These are the jury ski around, making sure people aren't cheating and making sure you're not falling back too far. Anyway, he came across and he took a red pen out of his bag and he scribbled across our race number. So basically, we were getting moved down from the 160-kilometer race to the 100-kilometer race. And I have to say, I was delighted. I'd already been thinking, I don't think there's enough hours in the day for us to do 160 kilometers. We couldn't have prepared for this terrain. I mean, well, we could have done. In hindsight, we would have walked up hills carrying weight or skis, at least, in our backs. That would have been good preparation. We did nothing like that. So whilst we were fit and able to do it, we weren't able to do it at the sort of speeds that they're expecting. And quite a few people behind us also got downgraded. Interestingly, the people that were quick enough to escape the cutoff, majority of them, so they were able to finish day one, but the majority of them dropped down to the 100 kilometer race on days two and three as well. I'm glad that we were just that little bit too slow. We'd have had a hellish day one. Well, we already did. And I know this doesn't sound very sporting or very macho, but it was extraordinarily difficult. It's really hard to describe the terrain, the temperature, the climate, just the the atmosphere in there when you're pretty much on your own it was quite extraordinary and I think it, it all just added up to create this feeling of anxiety and I, I by the halfway through my confidence was shot and I was coming down things that I can get down even as a beginner and I was messing up and falling and that made me feel even worse and screaming and shouting at parts I described it as as well I won't tell you exactly what I described it as but worst day of my life was one of the expressions to paraphrase Here's a summary that I recorded at the end of day one to summarise my experience. Arctic Circle race, the race itself, day one. And I've waited probably two and a half hours to record this because I don't think we could have broadcast my thoughts just when I got up here. It's leaps and bounds the most difficult thing I've ever done. It's horrendous. I've hated 98% of it. Some of those feelings are sort of dissipating, which is just as well, because we're up and out of again tomorrow doing the same thing. And I'm talking to you from the tent, which I've got used to being in. It's quite small and enclosed, just a two-man tent. In here with Antonio, obviously. Started the day, first kilometre, you go around the arena, all the locals are cheering for you. You're very much bunched together, but feeling quite you sort of, you know, excited. And very quickly... Really interestingly, we got out and it was just the two of us and I felt really anxious, really small in a big place and very, very out of place and very out of my depth as well. And that anxiety hasn't really dissipated. Maybe a little now. I've been talking, spoken to people, had something to drink, something to eat, but 
very anxious. The terrain is unrelenting. I just couldn't describe it to you. And the problem is that the uphills are extremely uphill and very long, but also riddled with anxiety because I know I don't have the ability to ski downhill at the other end. So the whole thing is just a suffer fest. It's it's borderline unbearable. I mean, I, I want to go home, but I don't think it's an option given we've got sponsorship and Antonio and everything else. But I've, I've pretty much hated every minute. On the more positive side, do I have any positives? Today's the 29th of March, the day we were going to leave. We're going to Brexit. We haven't, but I'm sharing a campsite with 16 other nationalities and everyone's in it together and everyone has had a suffer fest of one sort or another. And that, that's heartening. Other positives, two days time, this is all over. It feels like a very long time. Oh, we're on the 160 kilometre race, but we got moved down to 100 because we didn't make a checkpoint in time, which, to be honest with you, I was privately, not so privately, delighted about. And we found just doing that 32k extraordinarily difficult. I can't describe the terrain to you. It's mountainous, it's hilly. The downhills are technically too much for a lot of the skiers here, but for someone, I'm way out of my payload, way out of my pay grade, rather, in terms of what my ability compared to what's needed here so you're having to take your skis off and walk down a lot of the hills as well so you're walking up them you're walking down them it's we were out for how long eight and a half hours mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. to do 30 kilometers so that'll give you some idea of the terrain yeah and our ability i think that's probably all i can say i mean i don't feel so anxious now but it's been a torrid day for me personally anyway antonia has fared much better and there's been a real support to me but i've um i have questioned my mentality for endurance events actually and whether i've got the strength of mind that i think i have so in that sense very interesting that's it i'm really glad i left recording this for a couple of hours because it would have been blue swearing pit of negativity had i not done that so that's it from day one we're about to commence night number one it's good night from us in our two-man tent And we'll talk to you again in the morning. Day two started a little better, but in the night we had an incredible snowstorm. We unzipped the tent to about a foot of snow up against, pressed right up against our tent. Thankfully, we were in the middle of probably about... 80, 90 tents. So we were slightly buffeted from the wind and the elements by the tents around us. But have a listen to the sound of the wind. So that's what we woke up to. But I'd also woken up with a bit of a clearer head. I realised I've got to get my stuff together. Um, I really can't go out and have a similar day to the, the hellish day that I had on day one. So slightly better mental attitude. We decided that we were going to just let people go ahead. We weren't going to go into the bun fight that is the first hill and just take it relatively easy. Try and eke out some enjoyment from the day rather than, than it being the absolute suffer fest that it was on day one. So that's that's how we started the day. And um, I recorded briefly with a another of the participants called John, a chap we'd actually spent quite a bit of time with because we met up with him in Copenhagen. And he and I shared this little uh, sort of reflection on day one and, and looking ahead to day two. So I'm here with John, who I've met during this experience. And we're just going to summarise our day one. You go first, John. So you did the full length. Did the full length, I think. 
summer is absolutely brutal. <laughs> hills, hills on hills, no mountains. It's more akin to ski touring than cross-country skiing. Climbs are enormous. The downhills are just, just unbelievable. Skis off because the danger element is massive. And progress over the ground is probably half the speed I'd anticipated. So uh, yeah, a really tough day, nine and a half hours. Nine and a half. So we came in at eight and a half, but John did the 51 kilometers. We did 34 and we got stopped by the, the judge, which I have to say I was pleased about. It is absolutely brutal. It's the most extraordinary challenge. It's more like the world's toughest herring boning and walking race with bits of skiing, but it's just about every element of it is tough. You know, we're talking to you now from this huge mess tent, which is heated, full of people. There's another tent where all the kit's drying out or attempting to. The toilets are squalid, as you would expect, really. It's kind of how it's going to be in a mass participation event. It's just an extraordinary experience, isn't it? The level of, I mean, everyone as well, experienced skiers alike are, are struggling. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, a lot of these events, there's a, there's a big marketing department behind them. Excuse me? And they like to like to brand themselves as the toughest event at uh, running or biking, but uh, there's no marketing involved in this. This really is the toughest ski race. It's, it's beyond my imagination. So that's our summary, really, uh, with a much, much fresher head. We're going to start day two, and I'll come back to you later on and let you know how we get on. So that was how we felt heading out for day two. And actually the day transpired to go much better. Weather was pretty rubbish in the first half of the day, but the second half of the day, it was extraordinary. We had this incredible light. We were alone for much of it and we were coming in. I think day one took us about eight and a half hours. Day two took us seven and a half hours. So we had a delayed start due to weather. We left at 11 in the morning. So we got back in at about 6.30, quarter to seven. So the light was changing. It was very, very peaceful. It was absolutely beautiful. It was sunny. There wasn't a cloud of wind in the air, which is real testimony to how quickly the climate changes, how the weather can change very, very quickly out in that part of the world. So day two, we, we felt really, really good, actually. Back at the camp, it was the usual. You know, you can see in that previous clip or here rather in that previous clip, all the background noise. So we were in one of the heated tents in which you can eat. So day two, we get back to the tent. Everyone's very keen to see how we are after our sort of catatonic-like appearance when we arrived. And we weren't the only ones on day one. Almost everyone looked shocked. Much better, feeling good. You know, we had something to eat, some freeze-dried food in the camp. Absolutely disgusting stuff, but you, you've got to try and get the calories in. Headed back to the tent about half nine, just lay there and had a pretty good night. This is us talking a little bit about the Arctic Circle race day three. So I'm late recording this. We're on the beginning of day three. I'm in the mess tent again. We are literally heading off in 15 minutes. Yesterday, what a contrast. Much, much better day. Day one was horrific. It definitely is one of the worst days of my life. I was just underlying anxiety all day, well out of my comfort zone, well out of my ability level. Technically a very, very difficult day. But yesterday, so much better. We got off, we just went, we let people go off in front of us. We took our time. We were able to ski great parts of it rather than 
walking a lot, which we were on day one because of the technical aspect, which a lot of people were doing. In the second half of yesterday's race, which also took eight hours, uh, the sun came out, the wind dropped, there wasn't a breath of wind in the air, and it was stunningly beautiful. There's a section we nicknamed K2, because that's the name of the drinking station at the bottom, and it's two kilometres up on foot. You put your skis across your rucksack and can use your poles to steady you, and, and then you walk 2k back down, because it's a steep skis-off area because of the steepness. And that was testing yesterday, but when you look back from the top of that, halfway up the mountain, into the valley, it was stunningly, stunningly beautiful. The sun's not setting, but dropping. So all in all, a much better day. We get back to camp, we eat a bit, you know, we just socialised, went back to the tent. Very, very cold night, never really got fully comfy. And here we are, beginning of day three. We have to do the same as yesterday and skiing back to the arena where we'll pick up our luggage and then do the short walk back to the hotel and, and this experience is done. Definitely the toughest we've ever done. Hoping that when we get back, we're going to have hit that magic 10,000 as well. So feeling really optimistic about day three. We'll come back and, and let you know how it's gone. So that's how we felt going into day three. And indeed, day three proved to be even better than day two. So the weather was perfect from the outset. We knew that it was the last day of skiing and then we weren't coming back to camp, but we were going back to the hotel, back to a shower, back to the buffet, which was amazing. And there were moments of absolute beauty and we stopped to try and appreciate this. The other really difference uh, to the other two days is that there were actual tracks. The, the piste basher had gone out and bashed the piste and, and made the tracks. And classic skiing needs tracks. Otherwise, it's slow because you're having to make your own tracks. So we also were much bolder about going downhill in the tracks particularly. But it meant that we probably saved an hour where we'd been previously a bit reticent to go downhill. Uh, and here's a little clip where I'd, I stopped and said, I've, I've got to get the voice recorder out and sort of capture this moment. The sun there's hardly a breath of wind in the air, stunningly beautiful terrain and the snow crunching under my feet. Here it is. So just stopped. Can you hear the crunch of the snow? Just stopped halfway through day three, nearly halfway. Uh, just to give you some thoughts really, what I'm looking at is absolutely stunning. We're in a valley surrounded by these big imposing mountains, but the weather is amazing. The sun's shining down on us. The conditions are so much better than this time yesterday because it's the same course that instead of having to make our own track through the piste, which is not how classic skiing works, you sit in tracks that have been bashed out for you. We've got beautifully groomed pistes, the tracks have been bashed out. So whilst we're, we're not moving that quickly because we're tired, we are in tracks and we're moving for a, a lot quicker, about an hour and a half ahead of where we were yesterday. So um, I'm conscious that a lot of what I've recorded has been, oh, it's been a suffer fest. It is still a suffer fest, but it's more fun. Today's a good day. We're pacing ourselves, pacing our energy. Absolutely amazing. Um, if you could see what I'm looking at now, 360 degrees of blue sky, mountain, snow everywhere, beautiful piste. And yeah, we're actually sucking out some enjoyment from this part of the experience. So that was a, a moment of, of real beauty and the longer the event went on, the more sort of moments like that I had or we had. So I guess in hindsight, you'd really want it that way. Hellish first day, but it's very difficult for you to pull out or go home because A, you're in a camp and B, I've got Antonia there and I don't want to leave her in the lurch. Predominantly, I suppose we've raised all this money and I talk a lot about discomfort zone and being bold and brave and everything else. So 
I'd really rather it went that way. Day one, hellish. Day two, not so bad. Day three, we really sort of eked out quite a bit of enjoyment. So it was an incredible experience as we skied down the last few kilometers, we cross over the finish line, all the local people, there's a good few hundred people still out there watching, uh, you know, the stragglers, which was us coming through the finish line. It felt exhilarating, but it also felt quite anticlimactic because I'd, I'd been wishing basically for three days, I'd been dreaming of the hotel, dreaming of just sitting there listening to a podcast or maybe watching a YouTube clip or having a shower, anything. I've been dreaming about all this stuff. I was even looking forward to the long flight home and sitting there for four and a half hours, something that would normally drive me nuts. And when I crossed the finish line, it did feel strangely anticlimactic. Those things I've been looking forward to didn't feel quite so exciting and you know, we'd been gearing up for this for a long time. We've been fundraising for a long time, training on roller skis with Posey in the park for a long time. And I guess it's always going to be that way when you do a big event like that. It feels a little bit anticlimactic. Would we do it again? No. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, we did make that decision. This was probably going to be a one hit thing because it's several thousand pounds of our own money personally, which we're not likely to recoup, although it's worth the investment of time and money. But there's other things in the world that we're already looking at doing. And I think that's what I would want to spend my time and money on. And every couple of years, we'll do this big fundraiser to try and hit that that magic 10K mark. We've got 350, at time of recording, we've got 350 pounds left to raise to hit 10,000. So if you are interested in supporting us, you can do so by putting Leanne Spencer Team Endurance into Google, and that will find our Virgin Money Giving page, or jump onto virginmoneygiving.com and just look for Team Endurance 2018, and you'll also find us. Of course, we'll put the link in the show notes as well. So what did we learn from this? Well, the main learn for me was about my mental strength, my mental endurance. I tend to look too far ahead instead of setting very short, immediate goals. Next flagpole, next 100 meters, next drinking station, nothing further than that. And don't try and imagine and guess how many kilometers you've got left to go to something because you will almost certainly have overestimated it. So pacing and particularly around the mental endurance needed for these kind of events is a big learn from me. We also learned that we can endure. You know, we did eight and a half hours of skiing on day one, about seven and a half on day two, and about six and a half on day three. So overall, we were we were on skis for about 23 hours over three days in terrain that was very, very alien to us. You know, we were not accomplished, experienced skiers. So very delighted about that. You know, we, we'd really proved a lot to ourselves, but learned stuff as well. We were surrounded by some incredible people. You know, we were little fish in a big pond. There were people there for whom a marathon really isn't anything at all. You know, somebody asked us, what is the second most difficult thing you've done to this then? And we couldn't really give a quick answer. And he said, that's the answer. Everyone else here can think of two or three things that they've done that are comparable to this in some level, but you can't. So actually going in with what four marathons under my belt and two marathons under Antonia's belts and some other endurance events like the rat race, coast to coast and so on, actually is just about gets you to sit at that table. It doesn't make you one of the tougher, more endurable people in the room. There were some professional skiers, some semi-professional skiers. We took eight and a half hours, as I said, to do day one, but the winner took three and a half. Another skier, Camilla, who we, we got to know is also, I think, semi-professional, may, maybe not anymore, did day one in four hours and was doing day three in three hours. I mean, crazy quick, but very, very humble people, lovely people. You know, you, you felt like you were all in it together. It didn't matter about experience. There was no one pulling rank. There was no sort of them and us. It was a group of people really pulling together. And that was was lovely to be around. We were also really heartened to see how many of you 
pull together to support us on this. You know, we were absolutely delighted. We had over, well, well over, I would think, 150 individual supporters donating anything from £10 up to about £200, I think was one of our, our higher personal donations. And our business sponsors as well, who I'd like to give a quick mention to, that is Chuckling Goat. They make the goat milk kefir that we've drunk for a long time, but was a key part of our training to keep our guts healthy and, and promote overall good fitness. Miguel's Boxing Gym, I've been going there for well over a decade, training twice a week. And big shout out to those guys. If you love fitness, if you love boxing, get down to Miguel's Boxing Gym in South London, in Brixton. Fantastic place. Red Light Rising, the suppliers of red lights for all sorts of therapy, for cellular repair, for fatigue, for skin toning, for healing, you know, really deep penetrating lights that have a profound effect on health. So shout out to Red Light Rising. DNA Fit, who also came and recorded some videos with us. Uh, they supply the DNA tests that tell you what, you know, what your optimal diet and fitness is. We'll link to all of this stuff in the show notes. Perfect Information, a market data company who I struck a deal with, and I'm going to talk to their people at their upcoming conference in May in exchange for their sponsorship. And Technico Homes. If you're in South London or any part of London, you want any sort of home automation or building work done or redesign, go to those guys. We'll put links to all of their websites in the show notes. And a quick shout out as well to The Veil Practice. Again, South London based, they're in East Dulwich. If you need any body work doing, they are your people. And they supported us from the, the body work massage perspective. So thank you to all of our business sponsors and every single one of you that supported us. I'll finish quickly on what next for us and, and what perhaps you can take from some of this. For us, we're probably going to look at something that's skiing based again, not running based in a couple of years time. So we'll go for a big fundraising goal every two years. I feel it's only fair to give people a break from my constant metaphorical tin rattling, particularly on Facebook. But it does work. Every time we put a post out, we get sometimes hundreds of pounds of donations. So, you know, I guess the people that were fed up have unfollowed me. And those that were supportive carried on watching and donating. And that would be one thing. If you are doing a fundraising event, set a really big target and don't be afraid to ask people to support you. The majority will and those that won't, won't. And you respect that and you don't follow up on it. But, um, you know, we're really impressed, really impressed with the level of support we had. So what can you take from this? Well, the overwhelming message, the overarching message, I should say, is incredibly powerful things happen when you push yourself into your discomfort zone. You don't have to go as big as we've gone with the world's toughest ski race. It might be learning an instrument, going online dating, learning a, a new language, playing a sport, you know, first 5K, first 10K, first boxing match, whatever it is. But it's incredibly powerful feeling, you know. Everything in life now feels much easier because I've just gone and achieved this massive thing. It's good for confidence. It's good for resilience. You get a bit more comfortable in uncomfortable, very uncomfortable situations. Uh, you feel a little bit more comfortable with unpredictability and life is unpredictable. And I think a key part of resilience, it's not your toughness. It's not what you can endure. It's more around if you have the tools to cope with the various things that life throws at you and the emotional bandwidth to deal with them. And I think putting yourself into that sort of situation really, really positively affects that. So for that reason alone, I think it's really important to do something that takes you into your discomfort zone. So as a takeaway, just have a think about what that thing might be. Now, make sure from an emotional bandwidth perspective, you haven't got a lot of other stuff going on. Make sure that um, it's an appropriate level of challenge at the appropriate time. But if you feel that life is pretty smooth and you want to test yourself in some way, then then start to, to look at what you can do. Kick some ideas around. 
I'm really happy to to help you sort of brainstorm that a little bit, if you like. And if you want to ask any questions about this, give any feedback um, or, or perhaps kick out some suggestions for future events that we could do or that you're thinking of doing, we'd love to hear from you. You could jump onto our Facebook page. So look at Body Shop Performance Limited in Facebook, and that will pick up our business page. You can look for me, Leanne Spencer, and connect as well on a personal level. Also, drop me an email, leanne at bodyshotperformance.com. Um, and let me know what you think. We'd be really interested to get your thoughts and feedback from this event. And that is pretty much me. Oh, and um, if you if you do want to support us, we'll post links again to the fundraising page. We've still got that 350 left to raise. That's it from me. I'll talk to you next week in one of our usual style episodes. Thanks. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com and click on Take the Test. And it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results and a free 39 page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone who you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.